Hey, fuckers. I'm sorry about that. Uh, this is Brian, and I have several exciting announcements from late night to tell you about. Number one is we are doing a call-in show, our first ever call-in show, and that is recording on Saturday, June 24th, the 24th, June 24th from 1 to 4 p.m. Pacific. So if you want to call in, it's not going to be live stream. We're like recording it and we'll post it later. But if you want to call in and be a guest on late night, stay tuned for details, but set aside that time 1 to 4 p.m. Pacific uh, on June 24th, 24th, the 24th, June 24th. Also, also, also play Homebody. It's great. We started doing a, a Let's Play, me and Layton playing it. Uh, you can find that on our YouTube channel for Layton Night. And it's I love the game so much. It is so fun. It's got puzzles. It's got horror. And you can hear us play it. So whether or not you watch us, go play Homebody. And finally, finally, Layton designed an awesome new like 90s style computing shirt. You can find that at merch.laytonnight.com. It's very, very cool. If you like 90s era computing, this is the shirt for you. So go to merch.latenight.com for that too. And now enjoy this very special episode with the amazing Trevor Henderson. All right, so I want to roll into this first because I have a hot order of business to go oh, first wow. for this episode. Oh, man. An HOB. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> so Trevor, I'm aware that you watched and enjoyed Skinamarink, which yes. is yeah. a movie that I adored and I have not been able to get any of my friends to watch it. I think I've talked to one person about it. And in preparation, I wanted to talk to you about it, but Brian had not seen it, so I gave Brian homework over the and weekend. And had been meaning to. I'd have been interested yes. in it. And I, I am not generally a horror guy, but this one looked like it wouldn't upset me too much. So, uh, <laughs> well, well, we're going to talk about it, but I did watch yeah. it. Okay, cool. So I will say that the trailer for it I thought was fucking awesome. It's so good. The in this house, in, in this house, house. Oh. in this house, uh, so good. <laughs> it's so good, and I was immediately in from that trailer, and then reading descriptions of it, you know, not not too deep, but just enough to know kind of what it was. I was like, this sounds like one of the rare horror films that I could handle. Yeah. And I, I warned you, I believe, that you do stare at walls for two hours. And that's the <laughs> well, welcome to my fucking life, right? As yeah. long as you know you're going to be staring at the wainscoting for like a long time. Yes. Yeah. Which I was aware was a thing. People listening, spoilers for Skinamarink. I really highly recommend it. Although, but it, it's definitely not for everyone. Yeah. Yes. It's unclear to me how you could actually spoil this movie. Yeah. It kind of is unspoilable, isn't it? I mean, right. It's all just like a horrible, evocative mood that washes over you. Yes. And it, and it either works or it doesn't. <laughs> like, it, you're either like, why was I looking at a living room wall for two hours? Or that was the scariest thing. Yeah. That's or right. I guess, like, that was a cool experiment. Like, those are the three takes, I guess. Right. I was definitely on board for the whole thing. I loved yeah. it. I thought it was fantastic. It is so interesting to me why that movie is interesting. Like, you, you describe it and you're like, wait, Staring at walls, right? Why would I want to see that? And yet, I could not look away. It's yeah. so compelling. <laughs> it's so compelling. And essentially nothing happens, right? Yeah. That's not quite true. Kids go upstairs. Kids go downstairs. It's, it's, it's <laughs> yeah. just traveling around a house for two hours. But yeah, you're right. It is absolutely 
very compelling, at least to me. Um, yeah. And what it shows and what it doesn't show and what it implies. And, oh, it's really good. Yeah. What occurs to me, the near total lack of score, except for the, am I using the word diegetic correctly? The diegetic music from yes. the animation? Yes. Okay. Which is great. By the way, by the way, very excited to see I'm the old pincushion man, the terror of balloony oh. land, which was one of the cartoons <laughs> because that cartoon was in the, the Pee Wee Herman show. His like uh, oh. staged thing before Pee Wee's Playhouse that Pee Wee's Playhouse is kind of based on, but it's like him and Phil Hartman and a bunch of other people. Phil and at Hart- some point they wow. show, yeah, they show a cartoon. In fact, it was co-written with Phil Hartman and they show a cartoon and that's the cartoon. Oh man. Okay. And when the pincushion man came on, I was like, hell yeah. It's the pincushion <laughs> man. Love the pincushion man. That one's great. And I also like the weird little blip of the, rabbit being disappeared that they keep playing over and over again. It's going to be in like my head forever. The little like, it's great. I got to see it about a week, I think early before it hit any, or, you know, it was about a month early, I guess. And I watched it on my computer, not knowing anything about it, like 3am. And it was like the ideal way to watch it. And then I managed to convince friends to go see it in the theater and it actually went over really well, which was great. I'm very curious about what the theater experience, because I watched it, in the middle of the day for some reason. And I don't get scared at horror movies anymore, but it legitimately, like I actually screamed and was covering my eyes, which there's something very like lizard brain about that movie. If you're willing to buy into the magic trick of it, because I think it's very easy to look at it and be like, this is stupid. Why does everybody like this movie so much? Yeah. Yeah. You have to meet it at a certain point. Like you have to take a couple steps towards it. And kind of just let it do what it's going to do, I guess. If you come at it with a, at a remove, it's nothing. It's walls. If you come at it like, I need to maintain my intellectual superiority. And it's the same for any horror movie. If you go into any horror movie like that, you're not going to enjoy it. Yeah. Well, it's like looking at a painting and being like, that's just a bunch of color on a wall. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, calm down. Buy into what the thing is and then enjoy it. Don't immediately turn yourself off from the yeah. experience. You can say like, oh, it's door frames and some kids, but like it's using the door frames, the kids to tell a story and you're not letting yourself get wrapped up in that and what it's trying to do. Yeah. Here's my main question about the movie. Was something up with that house? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what a childhood house is like. <laughs> oh, it's because like it was in Canada. That <laughs> yeah. Was the prob- yeah, that's how it is right. over here. Yeah, typical Canadian home. Toilets like to blip out of existence a lot over here. It's a real issue. Believe me. Yeah, I'm aware. So true. Well, I have many thoughts, but actually, so Leighton, I want to hear your other, but both of you guys, I want to hear your thoughts on on this thing. I really want to watch it again. You know, I have a very complicated relationship with the book House of Leaves, which you can't see it, but my hand is on it because it's my (laughs) monitor riser uh, because it's so big, where I love the Navidson record part of that book and all the rest of it is just total shit to me and I hate it. You don't like Johnny Truant going around and like uh, having sex (laughs) with a million women? It's great. Yeah. Yeah. But like the Navidson record itself and the idea of the book has stuck with me for so long. And I think people for a very long time have been trying to adapt that vibe. And I would argue that a lot of the like liminal space horror that in back rooms or whatever is kind of stems from House of Leaves. And I think that Skinnamarink captured that feeling in a way that nobody else who has tried to do the House of Leaves bit has done, mm-hmm. which is really thrilling. I would say that maybe the other thing is like, I think the algorithm is pushing this on everybody with similar tastes right now, but the uh, 
My House Doom mod that I watched a little bit of the other night is also doing a similar thing, which is pretty cool that it's in Doom. I have one of those little Fisher-Price telephones deep in my circuit-bending expeditions just because I wanted to see if I could put like Furby guts inside of it, and I never did. But it was sitting on top of my bookshelf, and after I watched the movie, I immediately (laughs) put it in my closet. (laughs) Yeah, it got everybody. Even though it's like a really basic scare. By that point in the movie, I was so completely bought in. Also, the like look under the bed scene. Oh my God. Oh, that's the scariest part of the whole movie. <laughs> yes, 100%. And nothing really happens in that. Nothing happens, no. but well, so remind me, so it's look under the bed, looks under the, comes back up and it's like, no, do it again. Right? Yeah. yeah. Or something like that? Keep your eyes closed. Yeah. And then I think there is a jump scare at the end of that scene, but like it goes on for so long. Oh, that's right. There's the, like a hand on the doorway. The door frame. Yeah. Right. Yeah, like, yeah. Maybe the, uh, only the, once or twice you see if there's an actual entity in the film at all is that hand yeah. and whatever is at the yeah. end of the film. Yeah, the face at the end is such a good fucking face. It's so scary. Yeah. And I had a completely different interpretation of that scene until I saw it a second time. Because I thought the very end of the movie, I thought that was the little boy finally seeing the I little did boy's too. face. Is it not? Uh-huh. No, that's the monster. That's the thing yeah. at the end. I thought it was the oh. little boy's face because the narration is saying like, oh, it's I like did talking too. to you. So my interpretation was like, the kid sees you now. Like, he's looking out at you from the house. You're you're in the house with him now as well. He's asking your name, which was almost scarier to me than if it was the monster and you're from the perspective of the little boy. Um, I like that Yeah, the general take is that, like, you're looking through the little boy's eyes at the monster. Right. I didn't think about that. As we've talked about many times on this show and that I always like asking people, which is this hypothetical question of were you to be visited by aliens, what would you prefer? One that is super tall above your bed that's huge or one that is little and eye level with you and Every single time it's little guys. No, I would rather die. I would rather the big one because it's like, I can't fight that. If it's a little one right next to my face it, while I'm in bed, I will never emotionally recover from that. <laughs> and I, the ending of Skin of a Rink, I feel like it's just that scary, like it's on your bed saying goodnight. Like it's very, um, the grudge, like under the covers yeah. scare to me. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's a good scare. Because I thought it was the kid, that scare totally missed me. Oh, I, okay. I did not think that ending was scary at all because I was like, oh, that's just like a weird because it's so grainy. Yeah. Right. That and I have bad vision to boot that I was just like, oh, that's the kid. Like I said, I felt the same way, but like it was scarier to me than if it was the monster because like it got me in this weird like 4 a.m. existential like he sees you now thing. Like <laughs> you're the you're in yeah. the house. You're in the house of leaves now. I mean, a lot of the like rewinds and sending yep. things back, I thought was amazing. And the like splash of blood on yes. the floor. Yes. And oh back. my God. I think about that so much. It's so simple and it's floor so effective. Floor question mark. Yeah. 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 And it's so scary too, because like you can interpret the repeating of the cartoon as the entity watching that and becoming fixated on that and rewinding it and then repeating it in real life with the murder of the little girl later when the blood is splashing mm. out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's awful. So I, I have a kid. And oh man, yeah. Kids in peril, not something I like. And yeah. it wasn't too upsetting for me, but just the kids being distressed. Oh, or, or, yeah. And, and, and the, that feeling of distress gradually like dawning on them. When kids are that little, they don't know what reality is. 
right? Yeah. And so they just kind of accept whatever's in front of them. I remember hearing a magician many years ago talk about, I will not perform for kids under six because they actually think things can disappear and they aren't yeah. impressed. No object permanence. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Cause they're like, yeah, of course that ball fucking reappeared over there. That's not impressive. Doesn't yeah, that just uh, happen? And so one thing I loved about the movie is how it was so true to kids just, you know, they're in a new reality and that's just what's happening now. And only after, you know, they realize their mom and dad aren't around and they start getting hurt, you know, and who knows what the time scale is on that. It's totally unclear intentionally. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, that's when things happen. And then that, what was it, 572 days? It's a long up. time. They're in there a long time. The like long pull on the yes. toys is so fucking. I mean, I thought that the movie was going to end there. And I, I did too. It, had did it too. ended there, I would have been like, perfect, amazing. And it keeps going and it's still perfect, amazing. Yeah. Like yeah. it nails it. There's one shot I think that I took as like a dollhouse, but I've seen other people say is like your one look at outside of the house. That's what I thought. I thought it was outside the house. That's exactly what I oh. thought. And if it's outside of the house, it's even scarier because it's just the house and there's a void. That is exactly how I took that shot to be like, we're actually seeing the outside. Even if it is a toy, like a dollhouse, it's still representative of the house and where they are. If you did actually pull out from the actual house, that's what you would basically see. Right. But yeah, for a lot of reasons, I think it's pretty dismissive to just say you're looking at a wall for uh, two hours. hundred percent. You know, because of a lot of the stuff we've talked about, but also, like, they really build up these little kids through little moments. Like, you never even see their faces, and you, like, really care about these kids in peril. Like, there's one moment where they say, like, oh, I yeah. love you. Oh, it's, it's rough. It's such a mean-spirited movie, actually, when you really dig into <laughs> what's what's happening to, yes. like, these little yeah. kids. It's awful. I love a mean-spirited horror movie. I think- yes. Me too. This is me with my brain problems, but I would prefer a really mean one because it just makes me glad. It's like, good. We've gone past this like level of fan service where everything is happy and good and we get a post credit scene where everything yeah. is awesome. No, fuck you. Yeah. I like 80% of the time I love it as bleak as you can go. And then every once in a while, like, it's a spice. You know, there's one where somebody manages to have some semblance of a happy ending. But most of the time I'll go for a bleak one and it, it takes some real guts to go as bleak- as this film does. And I think he gets away with that by having things be a little more um, not so clear, I guess. You have to kind of yeah. Dig into it a little more and realize like, oh, this is really fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> well, Trevor, you're never going to believe this based on Homebody, but, uh, you know, <laughs> really, I love some ambiguity and yeah. meanness and not answering questions. Yeah. I mean, the movie is so dream logic that plausibly... There could be a card at the end that says, and it was all a dream. You'd be like, oh, yeah. that makes sense. I've cool. seen yeah. people argue that like the entire movie is the little boy's fantasy after he hits his head in the opening scene because he falls down mm, the stairs. Right. And it's yeah. like, that's boring. <laughs> if you're trying to explain that movie, you're missing the point yeah, it's of not. what it was to be in that movie, right? Yeah. The, yeah. The movie's scary because sometimes things happen. It's not yeah. like anything that yeah. can be made better by explaining. Yeah. I, I have a dumb question which occurred to me watching it mm. in Canada. Is it also nine one one or is there a separate emergency no. number? It's nine one one. Okay. Yep. Cause it, yep. it, in England it was nine 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 and right. I always forget. Like I was just like, I think it's still nine one one. Yeah. I have to say the only thing that took me out of the movie was asking myself the question, is it still nine one one in Canada? Yep. It, it right. always has okay. been. One star. <laughs> yeah, yeah one star. Immersion broken forever. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's that famous uh, IT crowd sketch 
where they have a a, a different emergency right. number, which is like twenty digits long or something. <laughs> yeah, I wonder yeah, if I yeah, can right. say. Oh one one eight nine nine one nine 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 eight eight one five nine nine one one seven six five three. I believe was the number. I think. Turns out the creator of that show is a total piece of shit. But a horrible. Also, yeah. Yes. We can move on from that. Yeah. Well, something else that occurred to me about the movie is one of the ways also that he gets away with the staring at walls thing is because the graininess provides constant motion. Yeah, the pariah dahlia of I'm looking for a face. You're always looking for a face, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I read an interview with the Kyle Edward Balls, the director and writer, and I think he did everything on it, actually. And I don't know if he was just straight up lying. I, I, I would respect it if he was. But he said that there is one shot in the movie that refuses to say which shot where there actually is somebody in the static. Like, they actually made an actor up to be a monster and put him in the... Just what? one shot somewhere in the movie... Uh, Someone would have found that. I don't know. I don't know, right? It's not like, you know, there, but like, it's fully dark. Like, they just put somebody there for one of the bits of darkness and static. Yeah. Could be a lie. I don't know. I wouldn't put it past him. I mean, if I directed this movie, I would totally lie and say that I did that just so people would look for oh, it. Oh, my God. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, buy another ticket. It's the guy in the static. Damn yeah. it, it's the Reddit blackout today, so I can't click on any of these threads where people are looking for it. <laughs> Wait, what's happening? Yeah. What's the Reddit blackout? Was, I'll talk about it with my lemon today, because okay. that is oh. my lemon. <laughs> okay, great. Do we have anything else to say on Skinamarink other than it's great and people should watch it, and you just buy into it from the get-go? Yeah. yeah. It's on Shutter right now. It's on Shutter. I saw someone compare it, and I think rightfully to Twin Peaks uh, The Return, which has a similar like vibe of dread in elements of it. Yeah. I guess I like vibe of dread type movies. Features smoothed over scary face. And speaking of like meanness, I think a lot about how I don't like everything to be like straight mean all the time. It is pride month. Yeah. You got to be gay mean. Be a problematic bisexual this month, folks. I know I will be. (laughs) But that there is one good thing that happens in Twin Peaks The Return. And it's so fucking earned like you suffer through 18 hours of that shit to get one good moment and then it's you go back to the misery but like i want good moments to feel earned i don't want to be given them right yeah you know. they shouldn't be matter of fact they shouldn't be like of course the good thing will happen you should have the weight behind it you're right yeah so i was going to ask you both given that i'm not particularly a horror person and that i love this film what else should i be watching Lake Mungo. Yeah, Lake Mungo. That's the one. Lake Mungo. And then you can kind of branch out from that into like Ghost Watch. Oh, I've yeah. I've heard of Ghost Watch through Ghost you, Watch Lincoln. is so scary. It's so scary. It's so effective. And I guess kind of on that same tick. And in the spirit of disclosure this week. Spirit. Alien abduction incident in Lake County and the oh, uh, yeah. McPherson tape. They're like Ghost Watch for aliens. Wait, those are two things you said? Yeah. Say, say them again. The McPherson tapes was the original. Um, which I feel is slightly more scary because it shows less, but it feels more real. It feels really like a family with a camcorder hanging out and then aliens show up. And then they remade it into uh, Alien Abduction Incident at Lake County where they're like, it has a bit of a budget. So they have like a laser and stuff at this point. And like the aliens actually show up at some point in that one. And they're both quite good. They're both like pretty, pretty effectively scary. And they do a thing that I love that I don't see in horror movie enough, which is like group possession. Mm. And I think they pull it off really well in both of those. Like 
just interesting yeah. and fun. And also seeing a little girl holding a shotgun is just automatically funny. Yeah, and it's less like related, but I just really just try and shove it down everyone's throats at any time. But there's a movie called Savage Land that you should see. I haven't uh, heard of this one. Oh my god, you both haven't, huh? Savage yeah. Land is tell us about uh, it. a found footage horror movie, um, but it is less found footage and more faux documentary. And it's not footage that's found; it's a pack of photos. And it's about a town on the Mexican-American border that overnight, everyone's killed. Everyone's killed in this whole town. They, they discover has been slaughtered through the night, and one guy is alive. And he's a gardener and a photographer, and they instantly blame it on him. They're like, this guy did it. It's, it's very tied into, like, bigotry and racism. And uh, they're like, this guy snuck his way through the whole town and killed everyone. He knew where to go. He lived here. He was a, a photographer and a gardener. He was scoping the whole thing out. And he killed everyone in this whole town. He's a serial killer. So it's interviewing people. You get talking head stuff that's, like, pretty good, pretty convincing. And also, like, he's in prison. But the thing is that while he was ostensibly killing everyone, he was taking photos of what was actually happening in this town. So as it's going through and kind of interviewing all these people, you see the whole course of events over these two days through like 20 photos, I think. And the photos are just like unbelievably scary, like immensely scary black and white photography of what went down in this town and killed everyone in this entire town. Like you can look up Savage Land and look up some of the photos, but they're very effective in the film itself. It's just an amazing horror movie. And, Whoever did the photography, like the photo manipulation and stuff and that, is just, oh, my God. The yeah, these are is really so good. good. They, they remind me of your stuff a lot. That's a huge oh, uh, yeah, of course. compliment. You're, you're, Thank you. <laughs> your, stuff, your, your Twitter pops up when I look up the, the Google. Yeah, I've been yelling it. about Savage Land for years. Uh, everyone should see it. Actually, so that reminds me, Layton. Uh-huh. This is Layton Night with Brian Wecht. <gasps> my name is Brian Wecht. Across from me, we have Layton Gray. I'm Leighton Gray. I'm so excited to be here with our special guest today. Mystery guest, would you care to introduce yourself? Oh, yeah. My name is Trevor Henderson. Hello. Thank you for having me on your show. Yeah, Thanks. we've been wanting to have you on forever. I've been a fan of your work for years and years and years. And oh, if thank people you. are unfamiliar with you, can you talk a little bit about what people might yeah. know you from? I am a illustrator and writer who lives in Toronto. Um, and I like drawing spooky stuff and drawing monsters and I'm probably best known for using photos to make monsters uh, that kind of got popular on social media, specifically a character called Siren Head that all the kids love or loved. I don't know if it's it's cringe now. It might be cringe at this point, but um, cringe means it's getting good. By the way, if I can just plant a flag here. When things turn to cringe, and I'm not saying that it has because I don't think it has, but <laughs> when things become cringe, that means that only the real the real oh, okay. uh, people are left. It's aging so, like a fine wine. <laughs> exactly. Right. He's like a good stinky cheese at this point. Um, yeah. So that's that's probably my big like, oh, you're the guy. I get to tell that to relatives and they're like, you know, oh, that thing my friend's <laughs> my son won't, kids won't shut up of? about. Yeah. <laughs> yep. My, exactly. my 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 daughter has mentioned Siren Head. I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie. Really? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, I hear about what it all the time. She's Kids it. talk, right? Kids oh, talk true. at school. Like, well, well also <laughs> I could talk about this forever. I want to talk about your stuff, but I will tell one quick story about my daughter. Uh, I was putting her to bed last night. And she was like, daddy, look under the bed. Yeah. <laughs> oh 
know. It, this is a, a non sequitur. Yeah. I'm definitely going to skin him or rank her pretty oh. soon. I, I don't know when, but pretty soon. <laughs> so I was putting her to bed and we were talking. She's started a camp today, which I'll talk about in my peaches. And she was like, I hope there's girls in my group tomorrow. And I was like, well, there will be girls, but would it be so bad if it was all boys? And she went, yeah, all, bi- <laughs> all boys ever talk about is these nuts. <laughs> <laughs> And she's like, I'm so tired of boys making D's nuts jokes. <laughs> uh, perennial. Oh, it's forever. Nine is such a tender age. I wanted to say, but I don't make D's nuts jokes. And then I realized that the title of my upcoming album is These Nuts. <laughs> and I couldn't look my daughter in the eye and say, honey, daddy doesn't make D's nuts jokes. <laughs> Yeah. So anyway. That's incredible. Oh, to be nine in the year 2023. What a, a terrifying prospect. Deeply yes, frightening. To, deeply frightening. Well, 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 more terrifying to be a parent of a nine-year-old in 2023. Yeah. yeah and have the that. nine-year-old just casually mention D's nuts. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, I, I think to her, D's nuts are terrifying. Uh, <laughs> these nuts are something to be talked about. These, these nuts, nuts are something are not to a discuss. Place of honor. No, <laughs> you know, no yeah. honorable deeds are commemorated here. <laughs> not in these nuts. No, that's right. So, yeah. Rest assured, I will be talking with my daughter, as all parents should, about these nuts. <laughs> Talk to your children about these nuts. Yeah, it, it's it's later than you think. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I learned it from watching you. <laughs> so true. She's gonna get there. Oh. So there are a couple of threads that I want to come back to that we've touched on. One, I want to go back to Savage Land because, Trevor, have you seen the Poughkeepsie tapes? I watched the Poughkeepsie tapes once, and we were just talking about how great mean-spirited movies are. That one's really mean-spirited. It's mean, yeah. It's rough, and it's rough in a very much like, oh, there's serial killers who fucking despise women way that like mm. really hurts. Uh, so I watched it once yeah. when it came out, and I'm like, this fucking bothered me a lot and I have not watched it again since. Yeah, so there's like a veer in horror movies this happens very frequently from meanness just straight into misogyny, cough terrifier yes. and terrifier to cough. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I'm normally not the the girl who cried misogyny in movies, but uh, holy fuck, terrifier yeah. and terrifier. Like, I, and I, what from what I've read about terrifier too, just like so aggressively off-puttingly misogynist. Oh yeah, my, my nine-year-old hated it. <laughs> I will say about uh, Poughkeepsie tapes, I really love that one because of the the forensic files ass framing, but I own it on Blu-ray and I've watched all, all the behind the scenes stuff. So a really cute story about this movie is that the director, he was auditioning people to play Cheryl Dempsey, who is like the abduction victim. And yeah. his he and his wife had just gotten married and his wife was like, for our wedding present, I want you to give me this role. Um, and she like begged for it and wanted it really bad. And he did it. And it, like for a lot of those scenes where they're shooting the fucked up torture stuff that like the director would be off camera crying, watching his wife get fucked up. Oh my and, God. Then, and then his wife would be like, that was so much fun. Oh my God. Like, it is really cute to watch her in the behind the scenes, just like gushing about how, what a that good makes time me she like had. it so much more than I previously did. <laughs> wow. Honestly. Yeah, no. And I completely, vibe with what you're saying. I do love any movie that has a Chiron that's just here's a guy dismemberment expert. Yeah. That's me. That's how Can't I want to be labeled. 
It reminds me of my favorite band, the Dismemberists. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say, it reminds me, of, I've just been watching uh, me and friends in, in a Discord stream do like Wick Wednesdays. We're doing the John Wick franchise. And oh, nice. we watched the first one a couple weeks back. And, you know, there's a really upsetting, like, kind of off-screen death where a little puppy gets, you know, beat to death. Mm -hmm. And he told a a story behind the scenes that, like, you know, the actor who had to pretend to attack this little dog was just, like, every time they called Cut, he was, like, crying. And, like, he was so upset by having to do it. But thankfully, the dog was obviously fine. And, like, you know, it's, it's, yeah, yeah, but upsetting. So, Brian, I think you would really like Lake Mungo. It is always, it's not like my favorite, but it's the one that I recommend to people who quote unquote don't like horror movies or like only like psychological horror who are like, I don't like jump scares. Not casting any aspersions other than my very dismissive tone of voice there on that note. Um, (laughs) Normalized jump scares. I like them and they're cool. They're good. I don't care. They're great. It's fine. Yeah, it's like... You know, they fucked me up as a child, had my first panic attacks ever because of jump scares as an adult. Oh, which one? Which would you remember the first one? Oh, the first one that got me really, really bad was at the end of the, I want to say 2004 Amityville Horror with Ryan Gosling. There's a projector jump scare where there's a face. That was, I think, my first panic attack in memory. I was like So you would have been like seven, yeah. Yeah, that was... Not good. But, you know, as a PTSD haver and somebody who had to go to treatment for my PTSD this year, jump scares are awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously, not everybody's going to feel that way, and I respect it. Anyway, I'm trying to think of other movies that are kind of in the Lake Mungo zone, because Brian doesn't like gore, which knocks a bunch of things off. Can't handle it. Yeah. Although, thinking about relevant to our previous conversation, I think the reason I don't like gore is because my buy-in is so immediate to almost anything I watch. Right. I love the Evil Dead movies. That I have no problem with because it's fun and funny. It's like us Three Stooges. It's fine. Yeah, <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Horror slapstick. It wears it on its sleeve and you know the vibe going in. But almost anything else I, I can't deal with. I would say like, yeah, you know, be careful if you haven't seen it yet, but the Evil Dead remake in 2013 is oh. a lot more straight-faced and is... Right exceptionally brutal. And I, that's why yes, I love I've it. Heard. Uh, I was just saying how gore isn't a huge draw for me, except for the Evil Dead 2013 remake. <laughs> Did you watch the new one, Evil Dead Rise? Yeah, I really like that one as well. It's like they take like a lot of the really mean-spirited gore from the Evil Dead 2013 one and then kind of temper it a bit with some of the goofy, zany, Sam Raimi, Evil Dead yeah. 2 kind of stuff. So you kind of get a little mix of both and it's like a nice little in-between, I think. I enjoyed Ash vs. Evil Dead you know, it wasn't mm-hmm. perfect, but it had a lot to like. Yeah, know, I thought. I liked that a lot, but it like it skewed too zany for me. If you go too zany, you lose me. It needs to be in between. Evil Dead Two is great, obviously, but Army yeah. of Darkness is too goofy for me. And I, my favorite is like the the really like straight faced, super brutal ones. Personally, <laughs> oh and yeah, see, I like the the comedy one, the zanier ones. I yeah, love yeah. Army of Darkness. I love Dash versus Evil Dead. Like that, I can handle. They're all five out of five star movies. Even the one I don't like yeah. very much is still a five out of five. There's no bad Evil Dead movie, including the TV show. <laughs> Army of Darkness was actually my first one of those, which I think mm. was a good in point for me personally. I was in, was in college at the time and a buddy of mine was like, look, I know you're not into this stuff. You have to come see this film because it's just the best. It's so likable. It's just fucking fun. It's it is, silly. Yeah. And you have like maybe the best leading man for that sort of thing of all time with Bruce Campbell. It is the best Ash. Yeah. Out of the movies, that's the best Ash you can get. 
Hands it's down. not the best evil dad. It's the best Ash, in my opinion. In my head constantly is him going, oh, oh. <laughs> You know, <laughs> I know the part you're talking about, too, because I've yeah. seen it like 800 times. I'm still furious. It's not called the medieval dead. Yes. Thank you. That was wow. the plan. Sam was going to be the medieval dead. And then they said, no, we're the studio. We don't know what the fuck we're doing. So it's Ash versus Army of Darkness. Brian, if you like the tone of those movies, you know, we've talked about this. I'm not a big evil deadhead. It's just not really my vibe. But you, you are evil and a deadhead. But those are separate. Yes. <laughs> different things. But the pre-2000 Texas Chainsaw sequels, 2 and The Next Generation, are both mwah, because they just lean into the comedy way harder. And they still have some of the most formally perfect, God bless Toby Hooper, jump scares, like, his jump scare math is so fucking tight. The like Leatherface bursting out of the wall, the one that they do in yeah. um, Resident Evil 7, question mark, is just yeah. like one of the greatest of all time. It's gorgeous. It's extremely good. I just rewatched uh, that last night, actually. Which one? Uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 2. I watched the last, rewatched last night. Hey, it's so good. So I have the second to last shot on this arm, and I'm thinking oh, about getting. Hell yeah. I'm thinking about getting Stretch holding the chainsaw on this arm just to complete the, like, diptych. You absolutely should. Yeah, you got to get a giant, like, chop top on your, just to get a big Bill Mosley <laughs> head on your back or something. Oh, that would be <laughs> so good. It's great. Growing up, Trevor, what were your big horror influences? Oh, man. Um, well, my dad was and still is a huge horror movie fan, so he kind of just, like, I got it all through him. He, he was showing me exceptionally things not for kids when I was very much a kid, <laughs> which, you know, uh-huh. that's like, it's a gamble, uh, but a it gamble. paid off. It paid off for me. Um, you know, I was watching Lucio Falci, like, gore, oh, gore films when I was like 10. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> a hello, nine-year-old. Let's watch Don't Don't Torture a Duckling. Wait, is that Falci? No, that that's happened. A- yeah, that is Falci. And that actually <laughs> did happen. No, he would work. He worked until really late in the morning um, unloading trucks at like, you know, uh, grocery stores and stuff. And then he'd come home on a school night and like wake me up in bed at like 2 a.m. And then we'd sneak downstairs and watch like Cannibal oh Ferox or, or Return of the Living Dead or wow. like really like not for kids stuff. But it was with my dad. Yeah. So like, you know, I knew it was all just like fake blood and stuff. It didn't bother me at all, really. And then, you know, if my mom woke up and came down, I'd, I'd hide. I'd actually hide behind the couch until she left. So, you wow. know, and I read all my dad's Stephen King books, which was deeply formative reading like it in grade eight, grade nine. Just all those kind of touchstones, scary stories, telling the dark books, uh, the same as a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. This, this Stephen Gamel influence is like very clear in your stuff. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have a, one of the Stephen Gamel illustrations from uh, the first book, I think, blown up on the back of a jean jacket, like full size. And it scares kids. What? It's which, which one is it? It's the scariest image in any of the books. It's like the eyeless skeleton lady face. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Exactly. I couldn't even look at it when I was a kid. But now, like, my partner Jen printed it out on this, like, laminated, like, sheet and cut it to size and, like, sewed it on the back of the jacket. It's really cool. That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah, I love it. Were you a Goosebumps? Oh, my God. I had every one of them. I had every one of them. I never got into Fear Street, weirdly. Completely sidestepped that. But I did love, I had all the Goosebumps way back. You know, it's the pipelines, the, the familiar pipeline of like the goosebumps to yeah. scary stories to Stephen King to anything the library will give you kind of yeah. uh, pipeline. Yeah. Are you into Thomas Ligotti at all? Yeah, I have not read as much as I should have at this point. They released two of his collections in a big, like really handsome version. Songs of a Dead Dreamer and Grimscribe. Yeah, Grimscribe, oh. yeah. And I've read a bunch Impeccable. of that. It's really good. 
but you know, I haven't finished that one yet. Uh, but I, I love it what I've read. Have you guys ever read the pilot script for the X Files episode that Legati wrote? <gasps> what? I didn't really know what. Yeah, yeah. Legati wrote an X Files episode, and okay, let me just tell you the opening scene. <laughs> the opening scene of the episode is a guy wandering into the FBI headquarters, somehow past all security, walking into this room where an FBI agent is, 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 is working, pointing his hand like a finger gun at him and going like this. And the guy has a heart attack and dies. And then everyone tackles the guy, all the other FBI agents. And then when they stand up, it's a mannequin. Uh, that's the most Thomas Ligotti shit I've ever heard. I know. And then the episode goes from there and it's like fucking obviously so super wow. weird. And they were like, we're not making this, Thomas. We're not doing this. When you that Google rules. it, the first news article that comes up is the X-Files script that was too bleak to air. So I will be reading the shit out of that. That's Ligotti. That's awesome. Can we talk X-Files real quick? Real yes, quicker? we can. I was a huge fan at the time. Like, I remember when that came on, I was like, fucking finally, something for me, you know, yeah. like it was just huge for me at the time. And yeah. then classic uh, 2020s TV when they rebooted it or made the next season, season 10. Yeah. I was like, wait, I don't care about my favorite thing anymore. I guess I yeah. don't really care about my favorite thing. The thing they don't tell you when you're a kid is that all the, the fantasies you have of like, what if they made a TV show like this or a movie like that? Those will happen, but you'll be at a point in your life where you don't care. You won't care anymore. That's right. That's exactly right. Was X-Files big for you, Trevor? Oh, my God. Yeah. I watched it with my dad, obviously, every week when it was yeah. doing those early episodes. I didn't give a shit about Mulder's sister and all that. I really didn't at all. No. I just was there for the fluke man and the horrible inbred mutant incest family right. in, uh, in a home. You know, and, uh, one of my favorites that I feel like people don't talk about much is the Folia Adu episode. Do you remember this one? That's my favorite episode of the X-Files. That's, that's my, well, that, that, that's my favorite also. Yes. It's so good. It's so I good. Love it. You know, people don't talk about it that much because it's it, later in the series. I think I forget exactly. It's like which season. season five or six, I think maybe. No, it yeah. must be earlier than that. I don't know. That sounds about right to me, but the, just the the paranoia and the monster imagery in that and the you know when they finally see through the deception with the like zombie yeah. people i thought was so effective and has stayed with me for whatever it is 30 years or whatever the fuck a funny thing about that is that they made the monster suit like the giant bug suit yeah and they thought it looked so shitty and horrible that they had to the last minute go and you know it has like a really flickering effect over time. Yes, 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 yeah. That's the, one of the awesomest parts. It's the best part, but the, they were like, we have to do something about this. This looks like garbage. Um, and you can really? find a, a screenshot of like the suit without the augmentation. And it, it's a cool monster suit, but I can see it being like ridiculous. It works out with what they, they did on it. But that's my yeah. favorite episode. Hiding in the light. The phrase hiding in the light has always yeah. stuck with me, right? Yes, I love absolutely. that imagery, hiding in the light. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the episode ending with him, like, calling someone and saying, like, the other boss is, is now a bug person as well or something. Yeah. It's great. This is adorable to watch because I've never gotten into X-Files. I think I kind of missed the boat on it. And I'm sure at some point I will go through and watch it. Yeah, I, I have a real alien itch at the moment, as we'll discuss. Well, of course, that's a formative Vince Gilligan, too, which is, yes. oh, yeah, that's true, which is right? important, right? Didn't he uh, do an episode with um, Brian Cranston as well? Oh, of the X-Files? I didn't, I didn't yeah, remember yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. I think he did, but uh, I could be wrong. Other favorite X-Files episodes? Well, Fluke Man, uh, both the yep. tombs, 
episodes. Yep, always great. Um, yep. Josie Chung's from Outer Space is the best that's episode a great, in the movie. Oh, yeah, that's a great episode. The one about the psychic who knows he's going to die. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What's the, the final repose of something something? Clyde Bruckman's final repose. Yes, that's, that's the a one. great one. Yeah, yeah. Oh, the freak show episode with the little twin that did like shoots off of the guy's stomach and kills people. That's the Jim Rose one, right? The Jim yeah, Rose yeah. circus. Yeah, yeah. The Frank Henenlotter style, like basket case episode. It's great. Yep, 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 yep. There's a lot of good stuff. Oh, I really like the one with, well, there's the one with the lake monster. That's amazing. The Lake Okanagan mm-hmm. one. Oh, yeah. Right. Oh, man, I haven't seen that one forever. I forgot about and that one. And the one with the weird invisible camouflage people that are like the conquistadors uh-huh. that drank the fountain of youth and evolved to be like weird forest creatures. Yep. Another one that stuck with me is getting trapped by the fungus, the yellow fungus. Yep. Oh, shit. The one where um, uh, Mulder's trapped in the flooded hotel uh, during a hurricane oh, yeah. and, the, and the monster that looks like water and turns people to water. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So many great fucking great ideas and also a great example of can we just chill out on mythology, please? Because it it started to get so convoluted and not interesting. Yeah, I just I wanted the the weird freak of the week or whatever. That's that's it. Yeah. Those are the ones that stay with me. And they also totally whiffed it on the whole mythology side of things anyway in the long run that it's just the monster of the week stuff that. Uh, stays yeah. with you. I love that they brought Stephen King in to do an episode, and it's like the most simultaneously the laziest and also the most Stephen King possible concept. Yes, it's like they, they yeah, find yeah. a doll that makes you kill yourself. I guess it's like, yeah. Thanks, Mr. <laughs> sure. King. Okay, Stephen. What are your favorite uh, Stephen King short stories, Ooh. books, whichever? You know, I've been a Stephen King fan like since I was twelve, I think, and I'm thirty-seven, and I uh, just love. All is like the core earlier stuff. He's pumping them out still, and I have not caught up with a lot of those for a while. It's amazing. There's a lot. Yeah, yeah. He was like, oh, I'm going to retire. It's like, sure you are. <laughs> the stuff I think of as the new books came out 20 years ago, by the way. Yeah, exactly. Now. Yeah. I bought his newest one, Fairy Tale. Um, I have it here, but like, I don't know when I'll touch that. But I just, I literally the other day just finished reading uh, Tommy Knockers, one of his most oh, wow. hated books. And it's goofy, but I loved I thought it was great. It's basically like a UFO gets dug up near the small town and leaks like radiation, but the radiation makes you both mutate and also get like tons of really great ideas. So people Mm -hmm. start like making these weird gadgets out of like Duracell batteries that can like make tractors fly and uh, keep their dog alive with six Duracells and stuff. It gets really weird. Famously insane movie too, right? Yeah, it's a very bad TV movie that I will probably watch at some point now. But <laughs> the best Stephen King stuff for me is for his novels, it's Pet Cemetery. That's his best novel. Yeah. It's the scariest novel, especially if you have kids. Oh, yeah, not, and not uh, yeah, it'll, it'll wreck you. The Sharding's great too, but his scariest stuff is all of his, uh, uh, in his short stories, I think. The Jaunt. <laughs> the Jaunt. The Jaunt is number two for scariness to me. And it's, it's my favorite short story, but his scariest short story for me is 1408 actually. Oh, oh wow. okay. Yeah. I have not actually read the short story. No, 1408. me neither. Just the movie. It's online. You can read it because I just reread it the other day. It's in the collection. Everything's eventual, which is a pretty good later day collection, but it's deeply scary. It's like not even in the same universe as the John Cusack film. <laughs> Yeah, I did not like that movie. The only thing I do like is at the beginning that John Cusack is wearing a hat that says paranoia is total awareness. And I can't believe nobody (laughs) makes that hat. 
That's a great hat. That's a good wow. hat. I also love Survivor type is up there for short stories. Lady fingers. Just they going, taste just like lady, like lady fingers. Lady fingers. <laughs> oh, it's so good. It's really good. Anything in Skeleton Crew is amazing. The Raft, The Monkey. Have you read The Raft? I don't know if I've read The Raft. I haven't read Tommy Knockers, so now might be the time. I've seen the filmed version of The Raft. The Raft is about a bunch of uh, university students who go to a lake to swim, basically, and go to one of those float, free-floating rafts in the middle of the lake and then find that there's this, like, garbage amoeba thing that lives in the lake and, and has Blob trapped monster. them. Blob monster, basically, Ooh. that dissolves them. And if you, look at, if you look at it, the surface of it, it starts, like, playing colors so you get hypnotized and fall in and it dissolves you. It's great. Yeah. Hell yeah. That sounds <laughs> yeah, awesome. It's, it's real cool. I guess this is more on the novella front, but I really love apt pupil. Like, in terms, if we're going to yeah. go for, like, the most evil the magic trick of that story i think is just pulled off really really well yeah the last sentence of that story is like a freight train hitting you oh my god especially reading it in the year 2023 yeah i haven't read it is the last sentence turns out he was a nazi no i don't know if i want to spoil it but no, no, don't spoil it um, don't spoil it. you should read it it's like it's a quick read yeah my favorite of that length is easily uh the long walk the long walk that he wrote under the name Richard Bachman, which is about a dystopian future America after Vietnam, where the national pastime is the nation's like poor youth can enter a televised competition, which is just a walk across America. And there's a big convoy of soldiers driving behind you the entire time with guns. And you get three times where you, if you stop walking, after three times they shoot you in the head. And then keep going. Wow. Um, and whoever makes it to the end walking this long distance, I'm not sure the exact distance, but it's like ridiculous, gets whatever they want for life. And it's just following these this troop of boys. They've tried to make it into a film or a miniseries like a dozen times with Frank Darabont and people. I think it'll eventually happen, but it, it's really I good. I think sections of Forrest Gump were based on that. <laughs> Jesus. I've started reading it and I have not picked it up again, but I did get like a strong Verhoeven kind of vibe from it. Oh, a little I can bit. see that. Yeah. What, the, the long walk? Yeah, because it's like, look at TV shows that are all fucked up now because humans yeah. suck and it's the future. So was that written before or after Running Man? Those are both Richard Bachman books, I think. I think he wrote it before. I'm not entirely sure, though. And I know they're making the jaunt into a film and it's not going to be good because it's good because it's a short story. Yeah, it's good because it's short. Because you no... don't see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it'll be bad. It's going to be worse than we think, Dad. Worse than we think. Uh, <laughs> well, I hope God. it has a jaunty theme song. <laughs> right? Jaunty music over the opening credits. This will be two hours of what happens during the jaunt that we don't see, which is why this story is scary. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That one always reminded me of for obvious reasons, the Star Trek The Next Generation episode where there's something hiding in the transporter. Do you ever oh, see I this? I've seen that one. No, I haven't seen a lot yeah. of uh, Star Trek. So Trek's. it's one of the rare, like, what actually happens when you go in a transporter and people are going into the transporter and they see something moving inside mm. the transporter and then they land. And it's the whole thing is like figuring out what the fuck is going, like, People start to get Ooh. terrified of being transported because there's some kind of creature living inside the transporter that you can only see. That sounds really cool. Dang. Yeah. It, you know, Star Trek occasionally did some horror episodes and sometimes they were really effective and cool. Have you seen the clip of there's one Star Trek episode 
where they're like body snatcher, like mind parasites. Yes. Like people. They shoot him with a phaser and his his face flies off and his head explodes Dude. and a big worm comes out. It's great. That's literally what I was just about to talk I was about. To say, yeah. <laughs> it was a first season Next Generation episode. And it was like they crossed a line in terms of gore that they, they never back went back to. Because yeah. it was like, you know, I was a teenager when that came out. So I wasn't like upset by it. But I was like, yeah. well, that's fucking gross. You know? Yeah. It's kind of shocking just because of how like sort of antiseptic a lot of Star Trek is. Yes. And then all of a sudden this guy's like face like flies off. It's like if Columbo pulled out a gun and just like <laughs> shot a guy in the face 10 times in one episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, I am actually working my way through Columbo right now. So hopefully here's hoping that oh, happens in, in one of the later seasons. I'm such a fan. The same Discord group I mentioned, we do Columbo Sundays. Oh. And we do uh, two episodes of Columbo every Sunday where we're two episodes away from finishing the 70s run of episodes. Okay, we're talking Columbo right now. Right hey, now, yeah. we're talking about Columbo. I've seen a lot of it. It's great. I mean, honestly, the, the best part of Columbo to me now is, is that it is a period piece now and also yeah. spotting guest stars where I'm like, oh, shit. You know? Yeah. It, that oh, is my God. The, most the, the Nimoy episode is amazing. Yes. There's a Nimoy episode. A Stitching Crime. Yeah. A Stitching Crime. A Stitching Crime. The Nimoy one is great. Vincent Price, of course, is in. Uh, is He's in not one. the killer, though. He's just like no. there, which is such a shame. He showed up for like a couple hours that day, did a few scenes, and he's still yeah. amazing, but you always want more of Vincent Price. Yeah. I love the Cassavetes I was one where say- he's the conductor. This was the John Cassavetes episode. Whenever uh, Patrick McGowan shows up, always good, exceptionally weird. Also Robert Culp. I was going to say, Culp is the other one. Yep. I was reading that occasionally when they were shooting, Peter Falk would just pause weirdly or like just start patting his pockets just to throw the other actors off. Extremely good. You know, not scripted, but just to be like, oh, where did I leave? Uh, Some of the best parts of the show are like clearly improvised. Like there's like a whole cooking segment in one episode. Oh, the Martin Landau one. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's good. (laughs) I love that Martin Landau episode because Martin Landau, so Martin Landau plays identical twins. And one is like, you know, kind of like a, a guy is like a, you know, 70s guy. And the other is a very prim and proper, you know, like banker. And he talks like this. They're both Martin Landau and like smooth, capital S, smooth Martin Landau. That's not a Martin Landau you get to see that much. And yeah. it's great. It's really good. It has a great twist in that one, too. Um, yeah. The best yep. episode, I think, from one of the ones I've seen, and I'll talk. stop talking about Columbo in a bit, is... Please don't. Uh, the one, it's kind of like Sunset Boulevard. It's about an aging starlet. Um, oh, Forgotten by Lady. Janet Lee. Janet Lee, thank you. Yes, that's the best episode, in my opinion. The last 10 minutes of that episode are amazing. It was definitely an ending that I did not expect. And normally you see yeah. them coming, right? Because they give away the whole thing and Columbo just catches them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That actually has a poignant twist. I think it. it's the only person who's ever like done the murder and not gone to jail Yeah, uh, in any episode of Columbo. And it's really good. Yeah, she's great in that. I can't remember. The, so she plays like a Ginger Rogers type who's yeah. part of a, an old dancing team who, you know, and her old dancing partner is like part of the thing. And it's it's great. It's like old Hollywood stuff. And she's amazing because she's Janet Lee, So she's like the greatest thing ever. Yeah, clearly. I love that episode. I could talk about Columbo all day. I love Columbo. 
This needs to hasten me actually watching Columbo now that all the shows that I like have ended this season. I promise you it is such a, a good investment of your time. Brian gave me his Peacock login. I love Peter Falk. Have you seen uh, Mikey and Nikki, Trevor? I love Mikey and Nikki. Ah, uh, it's so good. It's so good. I really wish that Mikey and Nikki had like kind of caught on when, you know, everyone was watching Columbo during the... Uh, during the pandemic. Oh, oh we have my a visitor goodness. in the back here. We have something going on on camera. Oh, hey, Boo. How are you doing? She's Who is this? In. This is my cat, Boo. Hold on, I'm going to grab her. Hi, Boo. Hell yes. Dude, that door opening scared the shit out of me. I, same. I was like, what is, you know, amazing. Oh. All right. So for those of you who aren't watching the video, you're missing high quality cat action. Oh, oh my goodness. Look at you, Boo. Yeah. She's a big fat cat. Oh, she wants a hug. <laughs> this is awesome. Yeah, she's great. Trevor, the the way that that door opened felt so much <laughs> like one of your drawings that I I could not have scripted a more perfect moment. Well, because yeah. it was coming from the bottom, the yeah. the, the force was coming to the bottom. I was like, what? Whoa! That was great. And also, just you know, Skinnerink now just having finished it this morning has primed me to watch shit that's happening on the edges of my vision. <laughs> so looking at you and have, seeing this thing moving, oh. <laughs> nope, it's just my fat cat. How old is Boo? Uh, I think she's eight now. Wow. Yeah. That's a good age for a cat. Boo. Wait, did she just say put the knife in your eye? Oh, no, Boo. No, I can't do that. Oh. There you go. Oh, yeah, she's a sweetheart. She's the best. I love her. That's awesome. Aww. So... You mentioned Siren Head before, and as somebody who had a thing go unexpectedly viral and the sort of shit that does to your brain and the yeah. ensuing absurd fallout, I, I watched that happen back in Gee Whiz 2018, I think now was around the time it yeah. started blowing up. And I was like, oh, fuck, this must be incredibly stressful. Yeah, it was in the beginning for sure. I learned quickly just like, oh, okay. Kind of hands off pretty quick. When the internet makes up its mind about something in ways that you maybe did not intend, there's not a lot you can do because everyone will spin you as kind of an asshole. Like, they'll respect it if it's, like, financially motivated in some ways, but they'll still <laughs> kind of low-key think you're an asshole. And then if you're just trying to hold on to, like, the creative context of your work, they'll just straight up think you're an asshole at all. And you'll get, like... Yeah. You know, it's easy. Like, in the beginning, like, there was all kinds of YouTube videos and stuff happening. And I was like, you know, I want to kind of hang on to, like, you know, the origin of this character. Like, I don't want a definitive origin for this character out there. I think it kind of ruins what makes it interesting or evocative or spooky or whatever. And basically, people were like, go, <laughs> go fuck yourself. So I'm like, all right, you know, I'll just move on and, you know, we'll do I'll do some other stuff. And now, you know, you can search on YouTube for Siren Head and it's, you know, a million children's videos where he's punching the Incredible Hulk for some reason. <laughs> and that's all beyond me and uh, aside from me. And uh, I don't know anything about it. <laughs> yeah. So when you first drew Siren Head, I assume that for you, it was just another little Trevor Henderson critter. Yeah. Did it pick up immediately or did no. it, was there a lag on it? Huh. I think I drew him in 2018, like you said. And then, like, at that time, I um, was working retail, and I would come home, and I would just do, like, three to five of those from donated photos a night and just kind of pump them out as a way to be, like, kind of creative after working a long shift at a job. Yeah. And um, 
not have to do a whole painting, you know, every every single night. And, uh, you know, the response was good to the character design, but I didn't think it was going to be like a thing at all. And I drew it a couple more times because I like threading like characters and kind of like referencing a character that I drew before again in different ways. And it wasn't until 2020, actually, that it blew up. And I designed a bunch of other characters and kind of like characters I like more, honestly, past that point until like he blew up on TikTok the same week as a, a game that featured the character got reviewed by like Markiplier and people. Oh, sure. Uh, yeah. So those two things at the same time kind of made him go weirdly viral. And uh, it was extremely strange. Yeah. But I'd already moved. It wasn't like I was just, I designed Siren Head and then it was popular and then I was just drawing Siren Head. I drew him and then like two and a half years passed before anybody was like interested in the character really. And then at that point it was like, it became a little bit of a kid's icon. It was, it's really weird. I don't know. Yeah. How did Siren Head end up in a game? Oh, that was like um, this friend, our mutual online, his company is called Modus Interactive. And then when I drew Siren Head, he was just like, this character design's cool. Can I do like a little like game level demo for it? And I was like, sure, of course. Yeah, just, you know, credit me for the character or whatever. And he did that initial game, which is the first game that had Siren Head in it. And then like two years later, that's what got played on a Let's Play, like three scary games that Markiplier does, I guess. Who's known for scary games, Five Nights at Freddy. It's that kind of thing, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And then, like, you know, he was talking about the character. And then, you know, when he did the video, I think he was first. Then Jacksepticeye and a bunch of other people also did that. And then more games got made. And then it kind of snowballed in a lot of weird ways. So it's completely unpredictable. I did not design the character. I just thought it'd be cool. It'd be cool if there was a guy that looked like that, I guess. And then it became like a whole thing. I don't want it to be like, make it sound like it was a bad thing. It was just baffling. It was strange. It was (laughs) was really weird. That's awesome. I'm glad that it all, you know, that you're at a good place with it. Just because anytime I see somebody get really, really viral, especially for stuff that's like super personal or they not intend to go viral, like it's a fucked up thing to experience that I think a lot of people would not be able to relate to that feeling of watching something you made run away from you. Yeah. yeah. On such a wide scale. If, if I'd had more emotional investment in that character at the time, and then it got taken and used in the way that it was, it really would have affected me a lot more. Yeah, but thankfully that... I had, you know, other characters that I liked that nobody did that uh, I could kind yeah. of be like, okay, well, I guess this one's for you guys and I'll just be over here with yeah. the other ones. But I still have <laughs> siren hands and siren feet yeah. and siren legs and all the other characters. Siren dick. Yeah. yeah. No siren one can dick. touch siren dick. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's mine. Great episode title for sure. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, I'm, I'm announcing, I, I think I said this on a, on a mini episode maybe, but this is my campaign to have everybody call homebody scream daddy. So scream daddy. who's playing homebody, please call it scream daddy. Thank you very much. <laughs> I, 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 humor, I humored it as a one-off. Don't do this. No, but this is what everybody should do. Speaking of humoring me, I think we should move on to segments. <laughs> so we do have two segments on this show. And the first is our pop culture recommendation segment. It's a chance for you to talk about something you've been enjoying recently, book, movie, video game, whatever it is. The segment is called What's Poppin'? It has a famously short introduction, which I'm doing right now. I don't like to belabor it. The interesting thing about this segment is that we have a theme song, which we insert in post because we don't have the technical ability to play it for you right now. And that theme song will go 
here. What's poppin'? What's poppin'? Perfect. Now, Trevor, I'll ask you my favorite question of the show, which is, if you were to have heard that theme song, what would you have thought of it? Oh, it's great. Perfect. Yeah, it's really good. Cool. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much. I made it myself. Yeah, of All course. Right. Trevor, what's poppin'? I didn't watch this recently, but it is a horror movie that I always recommend no matter what, because I think it's deeply underseen and underappreciated. It is a movie called Dead and Buried from 1981 by director Gary Sherman. And it is like the perfect cozy. Oh, God, I don't want to say cozy. The whole cozy horror thing happening right now. It's just a really comfortable movie for me. I saw it when I was really young. It feels like a well-worn like paperback horror novel from the 80s. It's about this small town fishing village called Potter's Bluff, where uh, people keep disappearing and getting violently murdered by all the townspeople. And then they pop back up as like a longtime resident who's like now working at the diner or something. And it's about the sheriff trying to figure out what's going on. And it's just like a really classy small town horror movie. And I, I really, really like it. And I'm just always telling people to watch it. It's really good time. Has some really gnarly gore in it too, from I believe Stan Winston. Nice. Iconic. Feels a bit like an EC Comics, EC Comics story too, like a really good Tales from the Crypt episode. Yeah, I really like it and I recommend it. That's awesome. Hold on, I have to circle around. What the fuck is cozy horror? I was going to ask, is like Midsummer cozy <sighs> horror? God. Thank you, Layden. I didn't want to ask it because I assumed you both knew what that meant. It's like a Twitter thing going on where people are talking about <laughs> that like- explains it. Yeah, trying to be like cozy horror. And it's like a, a subgenre people are trying to force into existence that doesn't really mean anything. And people are like, Midsummer is cozy horror. It's like, See, Midsummer is not cozy fucking horror. Fucking called it. Fucking called it. Midsummer is about a woman getting indoctrinated into a white supremacist cult and killing all of her <laughs> friends. But sure, okay, whatever. Yeah. I mean, it's like Adam's family and shit. Like, it's stuff that's spooky but not scary. But now it's become a thing. Oh, like Haunted Mansion shit. Yeah, like that's okay. traditionally what that gotcha. would be. Or like a hocus pocus. Ah. Oh, to apply the label horror to that is just a, a gross negligence of duty, right? But some people, <laughs> um, not necessarily myself, are kind of seeing it as kind of like a weird rounding out, softening of the edges of horror and kind of like the same sort of thing that some would say has happened to fantasy and YA fiction is kind of the same sort of thing is uh, being attempted with horror. I see. Is my understanding of it. <laughs> it feels like it's dovetailing frustratingly with this idea that like we have to reframe every piece of fiction as good or like justify why I like it because it reflects on <sighs> yeah. my morals and yes. what I enjoy in fiction reflects <laughs> on me. So if we make it cozy, then that means I'm a good person. Right. It feels like the latest chapter in people liking horror, but thinking horror is a dirty word. So they, uh, can't, yeah. act, they can't actually like horror. It has to be, it's a thriller, right? It can't quote win unquote, an Oscar if it's a horror movie. Horror. Oh God, elevated quote horror. Unquote, now horror movies only recently started being about social issues. <laughs> God, those goddamn articles come out like clockwork and they're like, they always start out being like, oh, I've never seen a horror movie in my life. I hate horror, but here's my thoughts on why horror is suddenly it's good uh, now. worthwhile now. It's now worthwhile. It has never been before. It's never actually said anything uh, meaningful or, or, or interesting up till now. But, you know, Midsummer came out and <laughs> I can say yes, queen, about that. 
That shit makes me feel so violent, especially when people it. are like, the horror being about trauma is like a totally new thing. And it's like, shut the fuck up. Are people just, actually saying that? Just yes, say yes, you haven't yeah. watched movies. And just the like, oh, slasher movies are fucking stupid and like they're yeah. always trash. The latest facet of this is some article that came out, I think, on the Mary Sue. And it was basically like, you know, horror is all about a one-upmanship and men mainly watch horror because they want to see what new extreme thing they can handle. And women don't watch it for that. Women want to feel cozy. And it's like, Oh, did we just switch to doing an additional sexism? Women can only like horror if it's cozy and cute. And if they yeah. people wear clo- like clothes that are cute, that's the only way that women can like horror movies. And then Midsummer's been pushed into that idea somehow. And it's like, did you watch that movie at all? Like at, in any capacity? I like ironically saying that that movie is a girl boss story, uh, yeah. but anybody who genuinely it, believes it, yeah. It's a lot, and I just choose to let it like fly over my shoulder and not touch me. It's basically clickbait at this point, because the same article happens every like two to three months, and then everyone gets upset about it again. Mm-hmm. And then I get, I get upset about it, but I don't say anything, because I don't want to give them the, the attention anyway. That's shape right. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Layden was popping. What's popping for me is I years ago read a short story that I really loved. And since then, I haven't been able to find it. And just by chance, I picked up Ray Bradbury's The Martian Chronicles because uh, I'm in an alien zone right now. And I've been reading it. And lo and behold, that short story that I've been trying to find for years is a chapter from this book. It's uh, oh, really? The chapter is oh. the third expedition. It's the one where they go to Mars. But like... Mars is Earth from the 1950s. Yes, that's such a good, scary story. Oh my God, I it's love so it. good. It's amazing. And it's so much scarier in the context of the rest of the stories because the Martin yeah. Chronicles is like a series of vignettes and it makes it so much more horrifying. It's just such an effective, it was written in 1950. The last couple lines on that story I, are so good and so scary. Oh my God. People rightly talk about Bradbury's science fiction and his fantasy, and and it's all great. But when he did, like, full-on horror, like the October Country and stuff, it's so good. He's so good at it. Yeah, in the, um, like, There Will Come Soft Rains and yeah. The Velt are both, I mean, The Velt famously turned into Disney Channel original movie Smart yeah. House. Yeah, there's a really good short story he wrote that I think, like that story, is a, a chapter in Martian Chronicles. This one is a chapter in a book he wrote called Dandelion Wine, I believe. Mm. Um, and it's called The Whole Town is Quiet, something like that. But it's about this woman going out to the movies on a night where this serial killer has been killing people in this small town called The Lonely One, which is an amazing name for a serial killer. And mm. uh, the, whole, the whole story is her walking back home through this park and thinking that someone is following her and not being sure. Ooh. And it's just... Just her walking home and her journey home from this this outing. And it's such a scary story. It's so good. There's an amazing radio play adaptation of it, too, you can find on YouTube. Ooh, I always know that it's a good episode of Late Night when I have, like, 20 tabs open on my second monitor because I'm just, yeah. like, looking everything up to read later. It gives me a strong, I guess this isn't strictly horror, but to me it's horror, but the uh, Where Are You Going, Where Have You Been by Joyce Carol Oates. Absolutely a horror story. That is a really scary story. <laughs> Yeah, iconic. So good. There's a movie called Smooth Talk that came out, uh, got a Criterion with release Dern, just recently. Yeah. With Laura Dern, and they adapt that story as part of the movie, I think. Sick. So, yeah, uh, Martian Chronicles by Ray Bradbury. That's what's popping for me. Brian, what is yes. popping for you? 
Uh, what's popping for me? This is an album from the late 70s slash early 80s, depending on which country you're in. It is Solid State Survivor by Yellow Magic Orchestra, which is maybe the greatest thing ever. These guys are early, early Japanese synth pop. And Ooh. it Ooh. is the best collection of sounds imaginable. They take annoying bleeps and turn them into pure magic. It oh, that's is my favorite. Incredible start to finish. There's a real fucked up cover of Day Tripper in there and wild tempo changes. And this sounds great. It is absolute ego dance. Yes. Wow. So Yellow Magic Orchestra, very influential early, you know, like contemporaneous with Kraftwerk and, and bands like that, although different places, but using, you know, early synths to make music and it's fucking awesome cannot recommend it highly enough. I was listening to it this week and I was like, how did I not know about this album until I was 48 years old? Because this is so much my thing that someone should have told me about this 20 years ago. And now I'm mad at the world slash my friends for not informing me about it. I love it so much. Solid State Survivor and indeed everything by Yellow Magic Orchestra. Okay, Um, cool. So great. YMO. Everyone calls him YMO, but cannot recommend it more highly. All right. That was what's poppin'. Now it's time for our final segment, which is three parts gratitude exercise and one part petty grousing. The segment is called Peaches and Lemons, and the theme song goes right here. Peaches and lemons. Peaches and lemons. Holy fuck, that was a theme song. That was uh, a theme song. song. Wow. And we will each start with a lemon, which is a minor bummer, annoyance, what have you. I'll go first since we mentioned it. My lemon is that because Reddit is killing third-party apps with API changes, so basically like Apollo, Reddit is fun. Any non-official Reddit app is dead. And so for you know the next God, two days... I do that shit. Yeah. For the next two days, Reddit's going to be dark in protest, which is not going to do anything, but also means that I can't read Reddit for the next 48 hours, which is a real tough blow for me. But more importantly, that like we're going to lose third-party apps which sucks because I've literally been using Reddit as fun since 2011. I've been using for over 10 years. It's been a long time. The official Reddit app is shit. And, you know, watching over the years is like the soul of different websites die. You know, we had MySpace and Twitter and like Facebook becoming the website for old extremists and your grandmother watching, you know, Reddit, which is like the last bastion of Reddit's fucking terrible, let me be clear about that. But in terms of websites where I spend my time, a lot of it is spent lurking on Reddit and has been since I was a young teenager. So yeah, it's just a, a bummer to see that the direction that it is going. Because even though a bunch of things on it suck, I owe a lot of knowing about cool movies and books and ideas and everything just to Reddit because that's what I use it for. Uh, so yeah, that's my lemon fuck Reddit. I've got a lemon. Those of you regular viewers might know that I'm drinking from a purple uh, thermos today. Mm -hmm. And that's because my wife, Rachel, has appropriated my real good touring cup for her own nefarious schemes. And she puts coffee in it and takes it to work, which, look, I, I love my wife very much. This is... What we in the entertainment industry call a dick move. Uh, It's 
just this shall not pass. For some reason, that real good touring insulated mug is like the best insulated it's the best. mug I, I've it's, ever it's had. It's because it's life. the perfect size. It, yes. it, it's good at insulation and it's the perfect size. And that was my go to podcast water mug. It's going to throw everything off. Threw everything off. I am, I'm not the same man I was. And my spouse is to blame. So <laughs> I'm, I'm calling out Rachel for taking my mug. I'm, I'm wearing my real good touring hat that used to be Vernon's that he literally threw away in front of me because he got a new real good touring hat. That oh, was like with the white new. patch? Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, what? I'll take it. I love a worn out hat. That's my all favorite. All black is better. All black hats. Are, all Look, black it's one like just the- distressed. I can't yep. stop wearing it. Yeah. That's very good. All right. That's my lemon. Give me back my mug, Rachel. Trevor, do you have a lemon? Yeah, I mean, mine is, I'm sure, one you've never heard before. It's just generally uh, Twitter. It's Twitter. It's Twitter and how inextricably um, it's tied to my career and how it used to be such an incredible resource for friends, but also art. And it just has been stripped. Even today, I think they announced there's a new thing where, like, unless you buy a stupid bullshit Twitter blue thing or whatever, then you can't DM people that don't follow you. What the fuck? Yeah, yeah. It's killing off any people inquiring about commissions through social media now. Oh, my God. It's dead. It's dead. Uh, it's fully dead. And I hate that. And that's my main lemon. It's not anything new. It's been going on for months and just gets worse every single time you think it can't get any worse. But Twitter was where I got, you know, uh, my career and most of my friends who are online and not in the city. And uh, it's just slowly being eradicated. I wish it had just fallen apart completely three months yeah. ago. The slow death ago. is very The painful. slow death is horrible. Yeah. And it's like leaving it up to me on when to leave. And I'd rather just like clean cut from their end. That'd be a lot easier. Yeah. It's horrible. And Blue Sky, which I'm on, is nobody's there yet. So right. it's kind of nothing. I stopped using Twitter for any other anything other than posting and leaving in like summer of 2020. And literally the number one, th- like the only thing that I actually miss from Twitter is the community of like horror art people like you, yeah, John and Nick and Plastic yeah, yeah, yeah. and like that whole realm of people. Like I miss seeing their stuff so much because that was like the most inspiring, cool. Yeah. It, it was like the last thing that felt good about Twitter. <laughs> yeah. Most of those people are still posting art. It's just, yeah. the community is you can't feel that same way about it because the site is falling apart and there's no way to reliably see anything. Yeah. No. So yeah, it's my, you know, ongoing giant lemon. Fuck yep. websites. They're bad. Yep. All right. Now it's time for Peaches where we will each say three things that are cool, fun, nice, exciting that happened or going to happen or that, I don't know, just exist in your head or whatever the fuck. I don't know how to introduce segments. Uh, that was good. You did it. Thanks. We're only 172 episodes deep, <laughs> so it makes sense that you haven't figured it out yet. I refuse to figure it out. That's right. <laughs> All right? It's my right. My name's in the title of the show. I mean, part of my name is. Your full name is, so I, whatever. Well, I guess we know who's on top then. I'm not dignifying Win, that with the Brian response. wins again, is my point. Brian wins again. All right. My peaches. My peaches. First peach is that Jarek had a really lovely birthday dinner at a Filipino restaurant the other night, and I got to hang out with everybody, and it was it was just good to see see people. Uh, I skipped out on the drinks afterwards because I was I did not. I showed up for the drinks afterwards. Wow. Okay. So we're we're doing Jarek Friendship Olympics. You obviously win. <laughs> I brought him a signed headshot as a present, where I spelled his name wrong. <laughs> How did you spell it? J e r e k. 
Wow. Like Derek. Mm. Disgusting of you. I called him my inspiration. Yeah. Oh, that is true though. Lots of good Filipino food. It was really wonderful. Second peach is that I continue to watch people play Homebody and we've just gotten like so many nice reviews and hearing from people who played it and enjoyed it. It's really special and I'm happy that people like it. It, it It's legitimately very, very good. And I've played a lot of newer indie horror games that are kind of attempting for some of the same sort of things and they don't get there. And this one really does. Um, And I think it's great all the way through. Absolutely. I mean it. That means a lot. And your fan yeah. art was gorgeous. Oh, thank so you. Beautiful. Yeah. Of course, John like turned around and did like a better piece of fan art the next day. <laughs> Fuck you, bastard. <laughs> Both of them are great. Everybody loves Scream Daddy. <sighs> Fuck you. The the third peach is that I've just been watching like videos of theme park animatronics and like behind mm. the scenes of how dark rides work. I guess it's oh. it's kind of like the expanding out of the defunct land universe. They've just made me really happy. Like, I love seeing animatronics. I was watching, there's like full mid-90s video of the extraterrestrial alien encounter with like the Mm -hmm. animatronic voiced by Tim Curry that has no skin. It's great. But there's the Jurassic World ride in Universal Beijing has the craziest animatronics I've ever seen in my life. Like, they have an Indominus Rex or whatever that operates on a circular track. So it literally chases you. And it's like a full size fucking, like, anybody listening to this, go watch a video of that ride. It is so cool. The animatronics are awesome. They're so yeah. cool. Those are my peaches if someone else would like to go. Trevor, you want to hit us with some peas? Yeah, I mean, my peaches are uh, uh, as true as they've always been. They're not really recent things, but, you know, reading Tommy Knockers, which is not like an incredible book, but it's like an old copy. It's like a first edition and it has like that old book smell. Uh, and the pages are kind of yellowed and textured. So it's just old paperback horror books. They're just so good. I just like smelling the, the pages. Oh, uh, yeah. It's a good oh, smell. It's the Love best it. smell. Yeah. Yeah, that's one of my top peaches uh, in general. I watched Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 with friends last night, like I mentioned, as well as a movie called Parents. My second peach is just I love watching horror movies that I love with people who have not seen those horror movies but are excited for them. And just getting to show friends something new and then also doing like online double bills is so fun because you get to like you know, what would be a good thematic double with this movie? And then you could do a whole pre-show of trailers that like really fit the theme and like Aww. cater the whole thing as like a bespoke experience kind of thing. I do that all the time and I love it. That's great. And just generally, the last thing is that it's been pouring rain all day and in the last couple of days in Toronto have been deeply humid and horrible and it's just really nice that the air has cooled down. Yes, Toronto in the summer sucks shit. That weather is, yeah. I think, like, you know, I, I've traveled a lot and some of the most uncomfortable I've ever been has been Toronto in July. Yeah, it's mostly fine. And then we'll get like three to four days scattered over the summer that are just, it's horrible. And you don't know when those days will be, but you can't do anything in those days because it's wretched. It's just so humid and awful. I was once at a conference in Toronto in the middle of summer and the conference dinner was in a big hotel ballroom where the air conditioner broke. Oh, and it no. was one of the worst experiences of my life. It was just <laughs> terrible. Yeah. 
I still remember that when I was uh, in my early 20s, we had a summer where there was a garbage strike on at the same time. Oh, so my the, God. No. The streets were just lined with garbage, and it was like the hottest it had been at that point. Thankfully, we haven't had a repeat of that, but it still gets really hot. and It's not the best. But yeah, I think that's all three of my uh, three of my uh, very yeah. good peaches. Thank cool. you, Brian. Yes, my peaches. Peach number one. Today is the first day of summer camp for my daughter, and we're trying a new one, which is like a hiking camp. And Ooh. every day I drop her off at a different place with a bunch of kids, and they go hiking. And she's thrilled. I dropped her off today. She immediately found a giant earwig and started talking about it with some other kid. And it was off to the races. So I'm very excited to have, you know, have a new experience for her out in the hiking around L.A. rules. There's so many great wilderness things around town here. And I hope she comes home disgustingly sweaty and dirty and having a great day out in the in the wilds of Los Angeles. Peach number two. Sorry, I'm going to take a drink. Peach the number two cup feels speak, wrong. Yeah, it's just it fits in my hand all stupid. I hate it. Um, uh, peach number two. Speaking of LA things, is Rachel found uh, on Friday? She called me. She's like, "When are you free tomorrow?" And the LA Conservancy, which is a group that does like historical stuff around LA, was giving tours of Clifton's. It used to be cafeteria or whatever, but the Clifton's building in downtown LA which is about 100 years old and was open for a while recently, a few years back, then closed and is reopening slowly. But it's five floors of just interesting shit. I've never been in there. And so the the person who originally founded it just collected weird shit. Like there's a on the third, fourth floor, there's a bar, which is a speedboat. It's just like a boat, a full-size boat in the restaurant. There it is. There's... Under the floor in the basement, which they're going to turn into a speakeasy, under glass are real brontosaurus eggs. There they are. They're dinosaur eggs in the ground. Yeah. Apparently, when they were doing renovations, they uncovered a still plugged in neon sign and left it there. It had just been on for like 50 years or something (laughs) and was still working. And now it's behind glass and there's a sign about it. So... It's all like the main room when you walk in, it's like there's a waterfall. It looks like you're in a kind of California forest. There's a big redwood uh, fake. And it's it's so cool and weird and interesting. And it was just a cool, you know, old building that has been renovated in various ways. I love the architecture around this town. And it's cool to see a, a place and get a little tour of its history. And my final peach is a friend of mine wrote a show for the Hollywood Fringe Fest called Oh Lorraine. The basic summary, which is going to make it sound less cool than it is, is a hitman goes on a date and his date turns out to be weird, but whatever. But they had a walk-on role for a piano player. He's like, hey, you want to do it? Said yes. So I did a midnight show at the Fringe Festival on Saturday night. And it's the only thing I've done with this guy. I love him. He's a super talented improviser and writer. He did comedy on the cruise ship with my wife for six months when uh, she was doing that a few years back. And it was so fun just to be part of a little, it was like a little black box theater, great audience who still came out for shows at midnight, funny show. I was on stage for maybe 10 minutes tops and then sat in the audience and watched the rest and had a great time. So it's been a while since I've done like a theatrical thing that, you know, wasn't a like music show or something. So that was really fun. And those are my three teachers. Yeah. Those are good ones. Well, 
look at all those peaches that we just did. And that brings us to the end of this episode. Trevor, what a joy it's been to have you here. Yeah, thank you so much. This was great. If people want to check out your work on terrible websites like Twitter, Mm -hmm. uh, where can they go? And is there anywhere you want to, anything you want to plug or point people to? Yeah, I actually have something to plug for once. I'm on Twitter too much as it like sinks into the ocean at Slimy Swamp Ghost. I'm on Instagram as just Trevor Henderson, all one word. That's where you can see my art without all the bullshit. I call the ocean that it's sinking into Twitter blue. Yeah, it's, actually, it's very accurate, actually. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And I guess the thing to plug would be that I wrote a middle grade kids book uh, for Scholastic. Oh, nice. Called Scare Waves. Oh, oh my gosh. Yeah. You know, my first time doing something like that, I think it came out pretty good. It's going to be released early October. That's amazing. Yeah, I did the cover art and has 26 black and white interior illustrations that hopefully are scary. It's got tons of monsters in it. There are deer with human faces. I hope that it scares some little kids. Well, I have a middle grade reader uh, who is easily scared. So I think that they'll love it. (laughs) Yeah, great. Congratulations, awesome. dude. That's so awesome to see. Yeah, that's and great. also, Thanks. as much as Twitter sucks, I think that your Twitter is a great bastion of you give amazing recommendations, especially like deeper cuts that people might not check out. And yeah. You also amplify a bunch of other like really, really dope artists. Like I found so many other people through your Twitter. So thank you. That's what I try and use the audience for. Yeah. Thank you. I yeah. love it. Yeah. This was awesome. I knew you and Leighton would have a lot in common. I didn't realize we would have so much in common. Yeah. X-Files, Columbo, all this stuff. Oh, yeah. Uh, and so on top of, I knew this would be a fun conversation, but also finding, you know, all these parallels between all of us is was just, just yeah. a real joy. Yeah, that made me happy. The same favorite X-Files episode. So hell yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So cute. All right. So it's the end of the episode. Folks at home, go watch Shrinky Dink. I'm not going to call it attention. Just go see, go see Shrinky Dink. Go see Shrinky Dink, maybe. And play Scream Daddy, right? Everybody play Scream Daddy. Please play Homebody. Play Homebody. It's, it's a good game. It's good, and we want more people to play it. Are you like, Look, are, are you mentally ill? I'm mentally ill. That game is for you. If, you. if your brain does not work correctly, Homebody's your game. <laughs> Put it on the box. Put it on the cover. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right, neat. Well, see you folks next week. Take care. Uh... Stay safe, come hard, I guess. Don't be embarrassed by your creation. Say it loud, say it proud. It's Pride Month. Hit me with a good one of those. (sighs) Stay safe, come hard. There we go. That's that confidence I like to see. (laughs) Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Late Night is produced by Brian Wecht, Leighton Gray, and Jarek Centeno. Follow us on Twitter at Leighton Night, on Instagram at Leighton underscore Night, or email us at LeightonKnight at gmail.com.